Then some, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father or mother, Anything of mine you might have been helped by, has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Okay. Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus and asking why the disciples were breaking the tradition of the elders not washing their hands. Now apparently they had this hand-washing ritual trying to avoid possible contamination from the Gentiles. And it wasn't like a hygienic thing. It was a religious tradition. And so the question is, why do the disciples not keep this tradition? Why do they not go through this ceremonial washing? Jesus could have just dealt with that specific issue. But he more deals with principles that underlie the issue. You know, he, he really identifies a couple of different issues in this. One is this conflict between God's rules and man's rules. And another is, you know, what really defiles you? Is it what comes out of you or what goes into you? Those are the broader principles behind this. Jesus does that sometimes. Jesus will kind of redefine the issue to really be able to teach things that are weightier than just some you know, excuse about this particular situation. And when he does that, you know, what's amazing about Jesus, they are, you know, kind of putting him on the defensive. But does he sound like he's on the defensive here? I mean, Jesus, there's, you know, he doesn't ever have to, like, justify himself. Jesus uses this as an opportunity. He says, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You know, you got this thing of God says and you say. And 
you violate God's will by your traditions. What's his example of that? Honoring the father and mother and allowing, allowing them not to do so by making some other claim. Yeah. Did you, do you understand how that worked? See, I can't help you because everything that might have helped you has been given to God. But... I still get to keep it. Yes. It, it, Theoretically. This all goes back to their view of making vows. And they could vow something to God like when they die. And they could still use it but nobody else could. So it could be used for their own personal use, but it could not be used to help their aging parents because that would have violated the vow. What do you think about that? <laughs> Sounds like a lot of their laws. Yes, it does. You know, um, it's uh, kind of uh, a convenient uh, approach to the subject that enabled them not to have to take care of the, their aging parents. Um, but this was their tradition. You know, this was what they thought was right. He says, when you follow your rules instead of God's rules, you're all wrong. You know, you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. In verse 6, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. He says, your heart's far from me. All you do is honor me with your lips because you teach as your doctrine the precepts of men. There are so many times that when we follow men's teachings, we end up not following what God says. And so we put God, God's rules in second place behind, behind human rules and traditions. For example, does infant baptism, is that a rule of God or man? How do we know it's from men? Because God doesn't command it. It's not in the Bible. So it came from man. When people baptize infants, do they not do something God has commanded? Yeah, what? They don't follow the... I mean, they... The, a couple, there's several things, but the one being baptized hasn't fulfilled the other commands. So they don't end up baptizing him as a repentant believer, which is what God says to do because they said, oh, he was baptized as a baby. So they not only do something that, God, that man commands, they, because of that, don't do the thing that God commands. Their human tradition causes them to set aside God's will. There's a lot of tendency for that in human traditions. You know, because they tend to um, take us away from doing what God says. He says it makes your worship vain in verse 9. Because it's not grounded on sound teaching. So we really need to think about that. We've, uh, do we have any human traditions that we follow and as a result break God's laws? You know, it's easy... To, to have human rules that, that aren't God's and that aren't right. We really need to stop and think about that. They thought this was God's command, but it didn't come from God. Do we think there's anything that God commands that really is our own tradition? 
we can make some of the things that we do that way, like like our worship service. It becomes the only time we worship God. Sure. You know, and it becomes the tradition. Well, I'm going to worship, but the rest of the time I don't, or something like that. Sure. Yeah, we can give our traditions, you know, some kind of place that kind of avoids doing the other things we ought to do. Or we can just we can just fight battles over our traditions. And you know, we don't always think of things as being our traditions. See, they didn't. Mm-hmm. That's not the way they thought of it. So we really got to compare it carefully with the Bible. Uh, you know, I might throw out a couple. I don't really care about these, but they might be illustrations. I think they're fairly obviously not biblical requirements. Uh, we might get controversy in some quarters by that, though, so uh, maybe they're good ones to bring up. What about uh, offering the invitation at the end of a sermon? <laughs> Does the Bible uh, say that every sermon must end with an invitation? It must somewhere. Because <laughs> I've heard people be so adamant about it. And, 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 and particularly after that, then it stand and sing the invitation song. You know, well, I mean, I suppose it's okay to invite people to obey the gospel, but there's no Bible command that a sermon end that way. Yeah, it's just our tradition. It's what we, we do it. You know, but it's not necessarily the way everybody does it. There are churches in Brazil that don't do that. And if you follow it through, it's, it's a little odd to be doing an invitation among the saints. Well, especially, you know, you, this ends up happening in churches of, you know, very small number that everyone there is a Christian, you know, and we do it anyway. You know, if anyone here, okay. you know, is, is, is to respond to the invitation of the Lord tonight, you know. If anyone's here, they are here. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of funny too. If you're not here, please don't respond. You know, it's easy to get into those habits. Or another one, this might be more controversial, uh, but it's really not a biblical requirement. Do we, must we pass the collection plate? Must the collection be taken up as a part of the worship service? Now, do we need to bring our money together on the first day of the week? I would argue that yes, when there's a need we do in 1 Corinthians 16. But, you know, whether or not that has to be one of the acts of worship in the service and whether it needs to be by passing something around, uh, I have no idea how they gave in 1 Corinthians 16. <laughs> you know, I mean, they may have done as I see some churches in Brazil do. They have a box somewhere you put your money in. And, and so, I know some churches in Brazil, they do that during the service. They like sing a song. And during the song, people get up from wherever they are and they go to the box and put their money in. <laughs> Has to be a long enough song <laughs> to handle the traffic in the aisles. You keep singing it. We, we did, they did that at South Liberty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Only there was no box. Everybody just filed by row and and put their offering on the on the table. Huh. Oh, just yeah. on the table. Just on the table. <laughs> wow. like on the altar. <laughs> That's interesting. And the preacher looked at the pile and said, "Another verse." <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it done that way. Yeah. But then yeah. another church. And they always sang, "Take the name of Take the name of Jesus with you." Yeah. That, that was a giving song. Well, I, in in the churches in Brazil, I know that do that. I do think there is one song they always use yeah. for the giving. Uh, so there's, there's that must be biblical. Must be biblical. <laughs> but other churches in Brazil, I know they just have the box there. Well, Pittsburgh just has the box. And and that's or true. Best. Is that what they do? Yeah, that I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, it's, a, it's an optional matter. I mean, you gotta you gotta do it somehow, but the how is not specified. But it's awfully easy to do something a certain way so long that you just assume God commands it, and then you start fighting battles over it, you know, and things like that. And I remember in the church in São Paulo that I helped to start. At first, we passed the collection. <laughs> you know, it's what I'd always done. But then it came up among some of the brethren. We were using a hotel conference room by that time, and we sat in a circle, or kind of a semicircle. And they said, you know, people feel kind of awkward because everybody's looking at them when the, when the you know, thing comes past, and they can kind of see if they gave or not. And so they suggested just putting a box somewhere. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, is that right? I've never seen it done that way. I've never heard of it done that way. But I started thinking, you know, is there anything in the Bible that says the collection has to be passed. I couldn't think of anything. And so I just kept quiet. It's like, well, I mean, I, I can't just say, no, you can't do this, because I've never seen it done this way. Yeah. <laughs> do what? Do That's un-American. American, yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I felt like I've been teaching and we need to go to the Bible for everything. And now if I say, we just can't do this, I don't know why. <laughs> it's not going to work. You know? But that was a challenging moment for me because I really had never thought about doing it some other way. It's the only way I'd ever known to do it. Um, and to add another story, this was really interesting. Um, it's talking to Min Hong, and obviously she has a really different background. It's my friend from work. Um, she's And she's a believer in Christ, but not a Christian. And um, she said, well, we went to, I went to this church one time, and it was so weird the way that they did the Lord's Supper. Like, they, they just had so many people, and they didn't all have time to go up to the front, so they just did this drive-by thing where they just passed it down the road. <laughs> 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 and I was like, that's what we do. <laughs> but she thought it was the weirdest thing that they didn't all get up and go to the front to take it. Right. Uh, yeah. uh. All those things are strictly what you get used to. And there's nothing, some of those are not wrong. You know, some traditions do involve us in violating God's will. Some are just a way of implementing God's commands that we should not bind that way. Either way, we really need to think through what's from man and what's from God. And the only way to know is what's in the Bible. And we really don't have anything to be afraid of just following what God says. And we do have a lot to be afraid of when we start thinking man's rules dominate. So that's what Jesus, Jesus first deals with. They're asking about washing hands, and Jesus goes into this long thing about, you know, human traditions and God's commands and pointing out how they will disregard even God's commands for the sake of upholding their tradition. Thoughts? I, I, go ahead. You just gonna stop at two examples? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 
Those are the two that came to my mind, <laughs> but you can offer others. Meeting, meeting twice on Sundays. Meeting okay, on sure. Wednesday nights. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you can't ever miss. Can't ever miss. We, we've just gotten to where, you know, raised that way. The only time we were religious when we were at church. Right. So then that became very yes important because yes yes if we, if we think of our service to God as confined to what we do in the church building then that does become you know the thing it's not that we shouldn't come together and worship but if that's the only time we're serving the Lord <laughs> we're serving him about 164 hours a week too little uh, or however long our worship services are. And then our prayers reflected that because anybody that was sick, well, we wanted them to get well so they could come back and meet with us. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We don't care if they do anything else. Not, we just want, not that we wouldn't mind seeing them again here, but yeah. Right. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And in Brazil, you know, it's common to meet once on Sunday, usually on Sunday night. It would be the more common thing. Uh, denominations in Brazil, they always meet on Sunday night. There are some brethren there anymore that meet on Sunday morning. And there's a church or two that meets twice, but not typically. It's not bad to meet twice. You know, it's not bad to meet a lot. You know, we have examples in the Bible of the early Christians meeting daily. There'd be nothing wrong with that. Uh, denominational churches in Brazil, you know, it's quite different there. A lot of them do meet every day. It's very common for churches to meet every night. And they have a different pur purpose. All of, they have a s ulterior motive. Some of those churches for meeting so often, because uh, there's usually the uh, the opportunity to collect more every time they meet. And uh, you know, most of the meetings are for money blessings or financial prosperity or you know other things connected with that. I don't. That you started to see them. No. Well, I was just saying. I I had never seen this become so uh, personal, emotional. Uh, contentious than to talk about offering the Lord's Supper twice on a Sunday. Mm. And I could not have imagined, uh, you know, how sensitive that, yes. that became. And, and, and it became not a biblical matter, but just a personal, you know, position. It is amazing how much we hold to our traditions or even refuse to examine to see whether they are traditions, you know. And certain things that are more patternized seem to be more sensitive to us. I think the Lord's Supper in almost every aspect, you know, any any change would be very sensitive. I think has been historically. You know, just different items about the Lord's Supper, you know, that people felt very, very strongly about. Um, some of what, you know, years ago, you know, serving it in one container, you know, could have, can't have individual cups and things like that. Because it's what they've done. You know, um, even I mean, I think people would probably have a hard time if you didn't have the table that you set it on. Because the table has some significance for some brethren. 
and and maybe even you really have to have the cloth on it, you know, or it's some kind of a desecration, and you know things like that that are clearly nothing. But the Bible mandates that. It's got to have the words in there. Yeah, that too. But it becomes you know just so much a part of our structure. So we just really have to think through. What if this is Bible, and what if this is just the way we do it? We need to find out whether it's tradition or not, but we also need to not go out trying to break it just because it's tradition, it's not law, um, because it can offend brethren, and Romans 14 talks a lot about that. Like, sure, we don't have to meet twice, but, I mean, there's no problem in meeting twice, and sure, we don't have to have an invitation at the end of a sermon, but there's no problem in having an invitation. If it's going to distract others, like, all of a sudden you start stand up and start singing, they're going to be like, what's going on? You need to say stand and sing. <laughs> some traditions are helpful not to break even though they're not necessarily needed some of that is good and I'm glad you said what you said because it's true that you know we could make a tradition out of just trying to be as untraditional as possible <laughs> and there's no value in that uh, just trying to make sure we do everything as differently as we can. You know, becoming anti-traditional can be a tradition. Um, on the other hand, the idea of offending people, well, Romans 14 is really causing them to do wrong. And you kind of fell into the trap here. Verse 12, then the disciples came and said to him, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Now, Offended here is not being used in the same way as it is in Romans 14. Romans 14, it's leading them to do something sinful. Offended here means they got their feelings hurt. They were upset about it. Did Jesus worry about people being upset? He didn't seem to. You know, when one's going to get crucified anyway, you don't really have to worry about accommodating everybody's opinion. You know, I think that's kind of... Uh, his situation, and, and, and so, you know, the disciples are sensitive about this. They're like, the, the Pharisees were offended. You know, the, the, you, you're going you're gonna to lose some followers. I mean, you, you know, and Jesus is like, well, uh, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant will be uprooted. Hint, hint, Pharisees. Uh, or maybe every doctrine, every teaching, every tradition, you know, every church that God didn't plant will be uprooted. Um, and let them alone, they're blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. It doesn't sound to me like Jesus was trying to make sure that they were happy with it. Jesus, Jesus really didn't worry about offending in this sense. He didn't worry about making people mad. He did worry about hurting them spiritually and causing them to sin. So, you know, there's a balance in a lot of things. And there's purpose You know, if we just did the most random stuff possible every Sunday, you can imagine that would be so distracting. There'd be no value to it. If, however, we occasionally made sure people didn't think certain things had to be a certain way, and occasionally changed things to try to keep hard and fast traditions from forming, that might not be so bad. There might be some value in that. Uh, but but definitely, but if, if we're on a crusade to just prove, well, I don't have to do all these traditions like everybody does, 
well, we make a, you know, improper crusade that's not going to be helpful. But I, but I am impressed by the fact Jesus was not worried about doing everything the way they wanted him to. The hand washing, the Sabbath traditions, you know, the uh, um, who he ate with, uh, just a variety of things. Uh, uh, he, he, he broke a lot of their rules. Uh, you know, the, the fasting traditions, and you know, talking to a woman in public. Jesus did a lot of things that looked sort of irreligious. Comments and thoughts? He certainly addresses the Pharisees differently than his disciples and the multitudes. Yes. Obviously knowing, you know, knowing the heart, but having a different uh, purpose even with them. You know, they came to him, testing him or whatever, and he just blasted them, you know, you bunch of hypocrites. Not, I don't think even so much in a sense is, well, let me explain to you and teach you and bring you along. More for everybody else, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. And then turns to the multitude and says, here's some teaching learned from this. What, not what goes in, you know, it's what comes out. And like these guys, <laughs> sort of. Uh, because his disciples didn't always have the right, didn't do the right things and say the right things. But he... He was sometimes stern with them, but was often molding them because they were uh, because they were moldable. Absolutely, yeah. You can learn a lot by how Jesus adapted his tone and approach to the situation of the person, the attitude of the person. And we're told the same thing. June twenty-two and twenty-three, for example, encourages us to make distinctions in how we treat people based upon where they're at. You know, a weak person is not the same as a rebellious person. So you don't just say. Well, we, we approach everybody exactly the same way. Jesus did not. Good point. Well, that just came up today when we were studying in Acts about how Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside to teach him, and then right at the end of that chapter, Apollos is, like, publicly refuting these Jews, you know, and talking to them in public about things. So, like, two different things right in the same. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there are different things depending on the situation as far as how we approach people and correcting them. Other thoughts through 14. All right, well, then I'm going to stop there. And uh, Lord willing, we can uh, continue in uh, 1515.